Blog Talk Radio. Something happened. 
for the remainder of the game, Louisville from that point going forward managed to score only 10 points, while Duke ripped off 35 points of their own. So if you're keeping score at home, Louisville went from being up 59 to 36 with nine minutes and 58 seconds left in the second half to losing 71 to 69 to Duke. It just still blows my mind, my ever-loving mind. Louisville, I know, look, before I launch, I typically don't crack on college kids because they're not doing it for the money. You know, they're they're not professionals, allegedly, but at least not technically anyway. Um, But how the hell do you lose a 23-point lead at home in the second half? Again, Louisville. You had only one job. Head coach Chris Mack, I love you. I love what you did at, at Xavier with, with the, how much you did with less. And uh, you're doing a hell of a job at Louisville. You may be the ACC coach of the year. Your squad had only one job. Do not blow a 23-point lead with less than 10 minutes left to go in the game. I don't give a damn what it is, dude. It could be Happy Hill College for all I care. If you have a 23-point lead at home late in the second half, well, not too late, but midway through the second half, arguably the best team in the country, you got to close that deal, man. I mean, Louisville went from having probably perhaps the best, hands down the best win of the year in college basketball like an all-time collapse and in, in a, in a loss in a loss of confidence. So it's going to be one of those things to see where Louisville goes from here. I still think they're a tournament team. They had nice wins. They they beat Michigan State. Uh, they hammered Carolina in Chapel Hill. But they this is this is a terrible loss. I, I know again Duke is the second-ranked team in the country. But I think they're the best team. I, I think they're better than the top ranked team, Tennessee. I really think so. For Louisville to let this league slip away, this is going to hurt them come tournament time. They they've gone from because remember they were the top one, of the top sixteen seeds announced for the NCAA, uh, pretty much trying to copy college football playoff committees rankings, like weekly rankings. But anyway, it's cool. But the point is is that Louisville went from being a possible four seed to probably no higher than a fifth seed, in the, like, like in the tournament. That, that beat Duke last night, finished close deal against Duke last night, Louisville would have been at least a top three seed going forward because the resume would have looked like this. At the very, at the very top, wins over Michigan State, Duke, and Carolina, Carolina with Carolina being on the road. So, I mean, it sucks if you're a Cardinals fan. It sucks for me as a as a person who can't stand Duke. I went to NC State in case for those who don't know. Um, it's 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 just, I mean, damn. <laughs> I mean, excuse me. I mean, just damn. I mean, you again. You had only one job. Couldn't close the deal. That's just that's that's just bad. That's just really 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 bad. But 
Yeah, I give it up for, to life for Duke and Coach K. I mean, he sees the man for a reason. He's won all those thousand plus games for a reason. I mean, when they were down twenty three points, they said, you know, fuck it, nothing else is working. Let's just go to a, a full court press in the two three zone, and that made Louisville that that shot that surprised Louisville. A that the press did, and B they went to a zone. I mean, Duke is not known for a zone team that really plays on. But hey, props to Coach K. He saw something. He made those easy, and he told those guys. He told those guys, "We will not lose." I don't know how, but hook up by crook, but we are not losing. And credit for Coach K for instilling confidence in this young man to actually get the job done. Again, very very bad loss for Louisville, and I, I don't know how to come back for that. They they play um, Clemson at home next. And they they gotta have that game. And if they don't if they don't beat if they don't beat Clemson, this this has the potential of spiraling spiraling out of control. So they gotta do something. They <laughs> Louisville just have to they just have to do what Florida State did and just go back to the drawing board and do the best they can because it's not it's it's not looking it's just that's not a it wasn't a good look for. Louisville last night and on national television at that, but you know, it is what it is. I can't dwell too much on it. So moving on along. And speaking of which, Clemson lost to Miami tonight. That's pretty interesting. So anyway, uh, let's just go on to talk about uh, Antonio Brown. You know, I, I he officially made his trade demands last like yesterday in this one of his many social media posts since Brian Mans addicted to social media. Um, this is I wrote a rant earlier today saying which team would benefit the most from having Antonio Brown on, on their roster, on, like on his roster. Um, you know, many teams would love to have him. I mean, hell, Antonio Brown is one of the best players in the game, period, regardless of the position. So he can, hell, he'll make he'll make teams like Baltimore, Cleveland better, New England better. Especially likes of Green Bay and perhaps Houston better, um, but since he's on the contract, he has to be traded. Obviously, he's not a free agent. So the question now is, if you're, if, which team would be better served having Antonio Brown? I suggested the Carolina Panthers, and here's why: the Panthers, if you look at them, and you look how they're, they're built. I mean, the only two – I mean, aside from quarterback Cam Newton, the the only playmaker that's – the only real legit playmaker they have is Christian McCaffrey. And which is all well and good. I mean, he he's a hell of a player. Don't get me wrong. But you can't have your best player be undersized running back. I'm sorry. You got to have – you got to have people who are threatened. You got to have personnel who are threatened their perimeter. And yes, I know they employ Greg, Greg um, Olson, but he's on his last legs. He, and, and, and God bless him. He, I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, he is. You know, he, he tries hard. He's 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 one of the better leaders and better men off the field. But they need someone to stretch the field. They need someone to keep them to to keep them um, defenses honest. And right now, the Panthers really do not have that. So basically, if you're facing the Panthers, you are 
as a defense, you're out expecting Cam Newton at a at a quarterback run, side quarterback run for Cam Newton or Christian McCaffrey uh, off tackle or catch it passes out of the backfield. That's really it. That's that's really it. And God bless, again, God bless Greg Olson, but he's he's injury prone at this stage in his career. So you got something to go with them. And plus, you know, with, I know they have Curtis Samuel, uh, DJ Moore, Tory Smith, and Devin Funches. But don't don't you think that Antonio Brown, alongside of Tory Smith and Devin Funches, would make would would just make the offense really go for the Panthers? Don't you? You don't think the Panthers would really love that? And I'll tell you this too. I mean, just just think about. Think about it this way as well, folks. I mean, the Panthers. I mean, the, like like the Panthers, they are one. They are one playmaker, legit playmaker away from really, really contending for a Super Bowl. I know the year that the Panthers made it way back when they made a Super Bowl run. Yeah, I know. But if you're really honest, look back on that season. Two things happened for the Panthers. A, they were great defensively. I mean, they had the the, the, the secondary the stout along the guard. They're always stout front seven. Front seven, they were held. They were held to deal with. But Cam Newton, offensively, it was really Cam Newton playing out of this world. Just and he was an MVP that season, and he was just balling out of control. I mean, you couldn't really, you couldn't really tell anybody anything. I mean, he was just he was just balling. So. Outside of that, I mean, they really they had a wild card loss, well, lost a wild card round to the Saints two seasons ago, and they didn't make the playoffs at all last year. So this is what the Panthers look like offensively. Okay, the Panthers, even though they were off, they were the times playmaker challenges, managed to finish tenth offensively overall, and that's pretty much on the strength of their running game. I mean, the running, they finished with 133 yards average per game and whatnot, but dig this for me. Like passing the, the efficiency, they were, let me see if I can find them. They were just 16, which is not bad, but just imagine adding Antonio Brown to, again, an offense that was a receiving core that has Torrey Smith. Devin Funches to take the pressure off both those guys because none of those guys are number ones in my opinion. Um, Antonio Brown would be that legit number one that would that would that would free that would free opportunities up for uh, Torrey Smith and Devin Funches, but also to go along with Christian McCaffrey, who's a younger and wider version of 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 of, of, um, of Le'Veon Bell. Man, there's you couldn't. It's hard to. It would be hard to stop the Panthers' offense. So that's why I don't know the Panthers' drafts like, like, like situation in terms of assets, what they could offer the, my beloved Steelers. But that would be one team that should move move mountain after mountain after mountain to get Antonio Brown. Me personally, I think it's going to the Packers because they have the most assets. As my as I understand, I think the Packers have several early round picks that would appease my Steelers. But either way, this situation should not have gotten as bad as it got as 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 it is now. Mike Tomlin should have taken a stand and kept and kept Brown 
in his place, so to speak. You know, it should have disciplined a long time ago instead of letting him get away with shit after shit after shit. Ben Roethlisberger should have been a should have been a better leader and, and not call out teammates and the media, not 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 embarrass them in practice. I mean, Big Ben, he's a future Hall of Famer, even though at times he played like Lars Benjamin last season. But he's he he's one of the worst leaders in football as 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 far as a star goes. You need just any every team needs their best players to be their best leaders or best men. And Big Ben is not that, not as a Tony Brown for that matter. So here's hoping that um, Tomlin, a.k.a. Omar F. Stunt Devil, uh, actually would actually be a coach. But I think it would be tough for him because he's known as a soft ass. And let's face it, I know they say people say players coach, but that's called for soft ass. And, and let players get, whatever, get away with whatever as long as they perform. My time is tries to call himself crack the whip. Players will see through that phony bullshit quickly. And it it, it it shouldn't end up this way for Tomlin, but I think he's coaching for his job this season. And that's another podcast for another time, even though the brother never had a losing record. And he's doing his tenure as the head coach of the Steelers. But this team, nevertheless, has underachieved year after year after year after year since that Super Bowl run that they had against the uh, the Super Bowl loss against the Packers. Way back when, I think in twenty twenty at the end of the twenty ten season. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just frustrating as a Steelers fan because, you know, on paper, we're better than New England. I don't care what anybody says. On paper, we had the talent to not go nine six and one. On paper, we had the talent to blow out Cleveland week one instead of tying them when they were led by the immortal Tyrod Taylor. On paper, we have no damn business losing to Oakland. Oakland, of all teams. Paper, we have no damn business blowing a big halftime lead to the Chargers at home in primetime. So you figure that's three wins right there. Flip that shit, you will have them, at, my Steelers, at, at, um, at, if my North Carolina math serves me, as 12-4, possibly 12-4. So you're going from possibly nine, six, and one, take away the tie, add the three wins, and you have twelve and four. They would have they have been tied for home for the best record in the in the FC. Not good enough for the first seed because they lost the head to head to Kansas City, but nevertheless would have had a better seed opportunity. And who knows? They probably have a second crack at New England at home. So anyway, it is what it is. Can't cry with spin milk, but I'm just as a fan, I'm just very, very disappointed in my team. So moving on to the trade of the day that broke the the, the breaking the breaking news story of the day, if you will, the Ravens trading Joe Flacco to the Denver Broncos. There's many ways I can go with this. First of all, I'm surprised that that Baltimore was able to flip Flacco for such a pick for such a mid round draft which apparently. It is, even though it's not like uh, um, completed yet. Um, but the thing is that if 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 if, if, if the Ravens manage to get a mid round, a fourth or even a fifth round pick for Flacco, maybe another asset, that's great. That's great for the Ravens. I mean, I despise the Ravens with the strip of a thousand suns, 
but they have one hell of a front office, and they do a wonderful job. I know that uh, Isaac Newsom is is now retiring from pro football as far as the front office goes. He's already a Hall of Famer as a tight end, former tight end. But and, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a Paul De Podesta um, or Eric De, De Podesta, one of them. But the point is, whoever's succeeding as a Newsom has to franchise in good hands because uh, obviously the um, the successor is an Isaac Newsom guy. He learned of the Newsom. He fits that culture pretty well, knows learned those culture and, and everything else. And hey, that's that's just awesome. That's awesome. Bully for Baltimore. Meanwhile, what the hell is going on with the decision making of John Elway and the Denver Broncos? I mean, last year, this this only this past season, you brought in Case Keenum for a two year contract. Okay, now you're bringing in another retread, even though he's a Super Bowl champion and a Super Bowl MVP and is arguably the best postseason quarterback who ever played a game. And that's saying something, more so than Tom Brady, more so than Joe Montana, almost. I mean, Joe Flacco has thrown for over 20 touchdowns and just four interceptions in his postseason career. That's pretty damn good, especially most of the time it was spent playing on, on the road. But the fact is, is that now the Broncos get another retread, essentially a, a slightly younger version of Case Keenum. It's almost like trading. It's almost like having two Case Keenums on your roster. But they still – what tells me is that Denver still does not have a clue on who their start, future starting quarterback is. They still in the quarterback market, and and I get that the quarterback mark, the quarterback draft, and this draft is not the so deep. I mean, it's really Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, uh, Drew Locke, and perhaps Brian Finley from my beloved NC State. I'm a model go pack, um, but there's really nothing much else after that. And I get that Denver wants to win now. They have a still have a great defense. They have a pretty good running game. They have serviceable weapons on the outside, but Joe Flacco, though? Really? Really? So, I'm not impressed. I mean, hell, he, again, Flacco is a, is a younger, slightly better version of Case Keenum, but he's, he's still not the long-term solution. And what are they going to do with Case Keenum? I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, they have all that money. If you count the remaining years of Flacco's contract tied up into the quarterback position, I think they have over what, 28 mil uh, left. Left, uh, left. I mean, 20 over 20 mil tied up into the quarterback position. Basically, have Case Keenum in, in the last year of a two-year, 36 million dollar deal, and now uh, with a cap, carrying a cap charge of 21 million dollars. And Flacco's cap charge is $18.5 million. So if you add that together, that's $39.5 million. So when I sell for $20 million, my North Carolina map didn't factor in the full amount of case care. That's just jaw-dropping. And John Elway just can't possibly go into the season with $39.5 million tied up in mediocre quarterbacks. I'm sorry. So I don't know if he can buy, find a buyer with Case Keenum, I don't know if any team will offer much more than the tomato can for him at this point. 
So I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, John Elway must. I don't. I know he has. He he, could, he has caught Blanche pretty much to do whatever the hell he wants in Denver because he's won two Super Bowls, took them to, uh, I think to maybe was it to two before that, um, actually three, lost the first three he was in, and then won his last two, and so I mean it's, and and and, and you know I know that they brought in Peyton Manning way back when. One that Super Bowl, even though Peyton was at arm, was nothing more than a doodle. But nevertheless, it was a Super Bowl win. It's a Super Bowl win. But Elway has stepped it up in the quarterback position because he's he's wasting that great defense on this suspect decision making on the quarterback position. And last but not least, the American Alliance. I mean, sorry, the Alliance of American Football. I did not know what to expect. From this, I mean, hell, I stumbled upon it by accident. I remember hearing about it, but I didn't think too much about it. So yeah, it was just there was like last this past Saturday, just literally channel surfing in between commercials doing like doing like doing some college basketball games. And as I'm stumbled on like CBS, and I see Heinz Ward discussing who has a big role in the, in, in, in leadership in the in the AAF. Along with talk, talking with uh, Kurt Warner and and, and 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 a young lady who's like the anchor, I guess, of upcoming uh, AAF uh, broadcast on CBS, and I see Bill Polian talking. So I'm like, wait a minute, I gotta check this out. And you know what? I know that these are players, young men who're looking to get into the NFL. And everything else, and I know this is not competing against the NFL, which is smart. They're doing this is a winter and spring sport, but I did not expect the excitement, the hype to come on. I mean, look, when I saw, well, first of all, they're they're, they're doing many things right. They have a quicker play clock, okay, and they have transparency with replay officials. You see them live in the booth. Communicating with the officials on the field, which is awesome. We love transparency as, as sports fans. But really, what got my attention is the fact that they let these guys play football. What I mean by that is they're allowing the actual defenders to actually play defense and actually hit quarterbacks cleanly. I mean, what what could be what's probably going to be the calling card? Of the of this of this upstart league is when during the uh, was the San Diego and, and and San Antonio game when Duke from San Antonio came off the edge and just leveled San Diego's quarterback at the point where his helmet flew off and it was in all mayhem ensued. I mean, granted, San Diego kept the ball because a couple of offensive linemen fell on it, but I love the fact that they're letting these guys play. I love the fact that they, you know, that they that that they are doing this in in the spring, and it looked like they had decent sized crowds for non NFL professional games. I mean, the crowd in San Antonio is great. And speaking of San Antonio, I like the fact also like the fact that first of all, there are eight teams, and most all but two of the teams are not in NFL market. Arizona and San I'm sorry, Arizona and Atlanta are the only two squads. 
that are in NFL current NFL markets. Otherwise, yes, Salt Lake, San Antonio, San Diego, Birmingham, Memphis, and Orlando. That's great. And now there's talk, even after the first weekend, you know, I'm not trying to be all high, like a all hyperbole about it, but it's gotten the attention of some NFL executives to the point where they, like the team, like former knows the San Diego Chargers, they they are they sent like they they're going to, they're talking about sending out scouts for the next game in the next San Diego Admirals game. I think that's what they call the the Admirals, and and that's cool, man. The San Diego Fleet. I'm sorry, not Admirals. The San Diego, the San Diego Fleet. Um, and there's talk that, and there's and they aspire actually. Bill Pullman was saying he aspires to be not competitors to the NFL, obviously, but as a feeder system for the NFL because there have been talks about the need of the of the league to develop their players, to have a developmental league that develops players and coaches. And you know, he stressed he being Bill Pullman stressed minority coaches being developed in terms of getting them on the offensive side since offensive coaches are the flavors of the month to get them noticed, to get them more 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 exposure and more practice and running offenses and whatnot, which, you know, it may seem kind of pandering, but, you know, I understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to look out after, my, like, minority candidates and, you know, whatever helps people of color succeed as coaches and to get opportunities and succeed, I'm all for so, in short, I'm going to be I'm going to be paying close attention to this league. Um, I enjoyed watching last week. I'm going to be watching every week going forward, and hopefully they expand in different and additional markets, additional non NFL markets. And hell, after a year or two with eight teams, it keeps you know again you know expand what I mentioned expanded earlier. We may have what the USFL should have been, should have been, you know, because football, what, you know, and plus, you know, with the numbers of, of, of said, of said broadcasts of games like San Diego and San Antonio, they pulled in as many viewers as did Houston and Oklahoma City. Either that's how big, how big football is in this country, or how great the AF, AF, AAF is. I think it's more or less a former, but still. The AAF is on to something. We, we are a football-loving-ass country. And having a developmental league that's essentially that's going to be in the spring could not interfere with the NFL and, and mostly non-NFL markets, it's a good thing. And what they're implementing in games with the transparency and everything, the little tweaks to it, is even better. So I'll be paying attention to the AAF going forward. And, you know, hey, this may be start something big. And, you know, if that's the case, I'm all for it. So thank you all for tuning in. I think I've uh, said enough. <laughs> so thank you all for tuning in. This is Scott Burks, The Clown Hour, signing off. Oh, six, y'all. All right.